see if you agree with this statement. I believe in God's power to answer prayer. Would you agree with that? Yeah, okay. Um, notice I didn't say, I believe in the power of prayer. Um, that's one of my pet peeves, by the way. I don't think that, as the Princess Bride, that great line, I do not think that means what you think it means. You know, it, I, when people say, I believe in the power of prayer, I'm convinced of this really in our culture today. A lot of times what people mean is, I believe in my faith, I believe in my prayer, and my power to change things. It just, it's confusing to a lot of people when we say, I believe in the power of prayer. Because ultimately, it's denying the one who actually is the one who actually changes things, the one who answers prayer. It's God who has the power. So when we say it, I believe in God's power to answer prayer. You, you get it? Yeah. We're going to talk about that power today because I am convinced of something. I do think in our prayer life, as we already learned last week, and a lot of us, we struggle, including this pastor, in our prayer life of what it means to pray, how to pray, why pray, and, and often we just underestimate how important prayer is and what prayer can do when God gets a hold of his, his kids, you and me, to hear what's on our minds and our hearts. Um, a lot of times we get bored, uh, we, we get distracted. Maybe you're praying one day like, Lord, I, I, I desperately need a miracle. And then you're thinking, miracle, miracle whip. Man, I'm hungry. I, I wonder if we got, I, I want to go make a sandwich. And all of a sudden you're dreaming about sandwiches and, and distracted. Or, or is it other times maybe we're not distracted, but as we pray, um, our prayers are just so small. And I wonder if God gets so frustrated for the things we ask. For instance, you know, you say, Lord, please, please be with us. And, and, and God's saying, yeah, I kind of got that one handled already. I already said I'd be with you always to the very end of the age. Like, don't you know my promise? Or, or I would say, Lord, please, please bless us. And, and he's got to be thinking, he's like, are you clueless on where you live? Do you ever watch the news? Do you realize how blessed you are just living where you live? I mean, you're asking me to bless you? Um, I think I already did. I mean, those are, those are pretty small prayers. But what if we started praying bigger? What if God is calling us to pray bigger prayers? And, and I got to say this, you know, my, my theological radar goes off on this one. And I remember just kind of growing up and, and being taught, you don't pray big prayers. And you may understand when I say this is we don't pray for, for God to do huge, miraculous things because after all, we can't expect God to really do that because what if he doesn't and then it'll frustrate our faith and, and the witness of the gospel will be thwarted if God doesn't answer prayer like that. So don't pray big. And I remember, I remember even at seminary, it just, we, we didn't talk about God answering big prayers. And, and then I went on a mission trip to India and I was with 20 other Lutheran pastors in India. And, and we're hearing stories of how God continues to answer prayers there. Prayers, miraculous prayers for healing. And how an example is a, an entire village will come to faith in Jesus when a Christian, which is only about 2 to 3% of the population there, and some figures go higher than that, but those are people that just kind of know about Jesus, aren't necessarily actual active believers in Jesus just by name versus actually alive with the Spirit of God and, and, and with that calling and their baptism to go and share it. Well, what they find is, is that because it's a Hindu culture by and large in many areas of, of India, 
if you meet somebody and you say, hey, can I pray for you? And they're like, oh, absolutely. Hindu faith, very open to that. I'm going to pray in Jesus' name, though. They're like, oh, okay. And um, Hindu being into, Hinduism being in a pantheism kind of thing. They go, of course, yeah, Jesus, good guy. Pray, pray in Jesus' name. And when, say it's a prayer for healing. And, and a person then prayed for in Jesus' name is healed. What can happen is an entire village can come to faith in Christ because here's the deal. Hindu gods, because they're made out of stone and wood, don't answer prayers. Go figure. And, and, and Jesus answers a prayer in that culture, in that community, and all of a sudden the church is planted in the power of God. And we're hearing these stories one after another and the testimonies of what was happening throughout India. And, and one of our my Lutheran friends raises his hand. He says, yeah, but how do you teach people um, to pray but not always expect God's going to answer their prayer? And you, you could have hear, heard a pin drop in the room because the Indian Christians were looking at us like we were from Mars. Like, who asks a question like that? What are you talking about? And I knew where he was coming from. I was like, yeah, but we can't be too bold in our prayers. And, and we gotta, we got to really be careful what we pray for. And, and they're like, we just trust. And they're seeing God answer prayer again and again. And I realized, and it's been an ongoing effect for me, is how often I, re- I pray, but ultimately my prayer is to rely on everything else. My own wisdom or the provisions around us, we can always explain away because we have amazing health care. There's no such thing as miraculous healing because after all, it must have been a good doctor or, or and the list goes on. Is there room for faith where we live here today? And is it possible in our prayer life, we've become kind of just lax in assuming that our God just is kind of there as a little compartmentalization in our life and everything else is up to us. What if we prayed, knowing that God truly does answer prayer? What if we prayed, knowing that truly He is powerful and glorious? What if we prayed, knowing that He spins galaxies on His fingertips, and our God is big enough to answer prayer today, and actually invites us to go before Him? Now, I've never heard this story before. Here's a great example. Um, Martin Luther... father of the Reformation and and part of his theology, the theology of the cross as opposed to the theology of glory. He was always very careful. It all goes back to the cross, always goes back to the cross. But Martin Luther was a bold prayer. And and you've maybe heard those stories of on busy days, Martin Luther would pray for an hour and then on really busy days, he'd pray for three hours. Um, So the story goes. He was a man of prayer. And there was a, an associate of his, kind of a good, good friend and a partner in the Reformation, an assistant by the name of Friedrich Myconius. And in the year 1540, I never heard this story before, uh, Friedrich Myconius was on his deathbed. Um, he had stopped eating because um, he, he was no longer able to talk. And just before that was happening, they were expecting him to, to go home to heaven at any time. He had uh, written a letter, probably dictated a letter that was sent to Luther, basically saying goodbye, I'm, I'm going to heaven, thanks for all the, the blessings of serving together, that kind of thing. Luther responded. And, and you'd expect Luther would say, God's will and, and God's speed to you and, and the Lord's calling over you and may it be well with you. No, this is how Luther responds. Listen to this. I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. 
The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, because I seek only to glorify the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God. Who prays like that? Let me say that again. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit me to survive or will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying. Who prays like that? Apparently Martin Luther did. And you want to hear something amazing and cool about this? Not only did Friedrich Marconius, um, not only did he not die that night, he lived six more years. And he outlived Luther. Luther died two months before he did. So it's true. Luther never heard of his death. Who prays like that? And who answers like that? Well, God does. Almighty God. And with that in mind, I want to open scripture with you today. Because I really pray that God would open our hearts and our eyes and our lives to realize there's something greater here than we could ever imagine. And realize that when we kneel before the Father and realize how huge He is and the ability that He has to answer prayer according to His will, understood. But may we never, may we never sell Him short for what He's capable of and be so small and puny in our prayer life. Um, let's open God's Word today. Our, our reading today, last week we, we started with Philippians chapter Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And if you haven't heard that message introduced all of this, it's online. Good stuff. We're going to be growing through prayer. And and Paul talked, and we summarized it, in everything pray. It's our our series title comes from that that text. But today we're going to take it a step further and look at another place where the Apostle Paul prays. We can learn a lot from the prayer life of of the men of God and the women of God. And, And we're going to look at the prayer life of the Apostle Paul as God inspired him to write. What does he mean when he had earlier written, in everything pray? Well, here's an example of a prayer of the Apostle Paul. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. You can turn in the worship Bible or you can look in your worship folder where that scripture is listed there. Um, Don't look at me, look at the text because that's where we're going to spend some time. It'll be much more interesting. Um, As we look at that, Ephesians 3, verse 14 And what we're going to see in here is is kind of an interesting equation, if you will, of how to pray. And it's one that I hadn't caught until the summer we started looking at these, that all these model prayers, when Paul prays for the churches that he serves, and in this case, while he's locked up in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel, it's there in that prison that he writes and pens this letter to the church in Ephesus around 60 AD or so. And what we see is this equation that Paul doesn't pray puny prayers. He doesn't pray, may you be healed, and stop at that. Or he doesn't pray, may may this go well with you, and stop with that. Um, He adds this little phrase, say it with me, so that. So that. You're going to see it come out in this text today. So that. He prays this, so that this might become true and become clear. Um, Let's read this section, beginning with verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Stop there for a moment. So Paul is kneeling. Uh, Just to review this, is kneeling a good way to pray? Powerful way to pray, right? Especially when what it does is it recognizes and kind of reminds us 
of our need for God and our weakness and, and to kneel can be a very powerful thing. We did that earlier in our worship time. Um, is standing a good way to pray? Sure, can be. Uh, in fact, in Jesus' day, most people did stand when they prayed and they put their hands up like this in, in the presence of God and they would pray standing. Um, can you walk and pray? Sure you can. How about run and pray? How about watch the Detroit Lions take on the Minnesota Vikings and pray? Yeah. I mean, after all, Jesus did say, watch and pray. And I got a hunch there'll be a lot of praying this afternoon on both sides. No doubt or not, right? But the thing is, is we can pray wherever we are. We can even pray laying down. You know? And sometimes I've heard people say, oh, what a terrible thing. The other night I was praying before bedtime. And I was laying there and I fell asleep praying. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm like, are you kidding me? I loved it when my kids would be in my arms talking to me and their words would slow down and all of a sudden they were asleep in my arms. I mean, what an honor um, to have my kid that close. I mean, we're climbing up on the father's lap when we talk to him in prayer. What a great way to fall asleep. Um, but prayer life is huge when we realize Paul, in this case, is kneeling. It's a great posture. And sometimes if you're struggling with prayer, uh, change up the posture. Um, maybe spend time kneeling at home and, and when you're going before the Lord. And he says this, so I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What's he saying? What he's saying is, we're talking about the Heavenly Father, and he's talking about who, our, who we are, our identity, our reality, not defined by our sin, not defined by our lack of faith, not defined by the ways we fall short, but defined by the Father, who calls us as his family. And how does he do that? He does it through the blood of Jesus. That's how we enter into the courts of being welcome to spend time with God in prayer. It's the only way. It's by what he has done. And it's in that reality that redefines who we are and who we understand him to be and realize this is huge. We're in the presence of Almighty God. And it's in the presence of that Almighty One. Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, here's a visual for you. Um, those of you Lord of the Rings or Hobbit fans, I, I'm thinking this is a Lord of the Rings, and I got this wrong. I, I said Frodo. It's actually Bilbo Baggins. Um, goes into the, this uh, lair of the dragon, and, and if you've seen the movie, and there's this huge room, it's just this utter expanse of a cave, and it's just filled with riches, gold and, and rubies, and, and the dragon is actually covered under it. And I'm not saying that because God's a dragon, that's not my point. It's just a visualization of, imagine this incredible expanse of riches. And Paul says, according to God's glorious riches, which aren't, isn't based in money, it's based in his strength, who he has been, that he's always been and always will be, the God who is all-powerful and, and is omnipresent and omniscient. I mean, this God in his glorious riches, who is there for us and invites us into his presence. If you think I'm tanked and excited about this, I am. This is huge. He says, according to his glorious riches, and out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power. I've taught on this many times. The word power in Greek is dunamē or dunamis, which we get our word for dynamite. Some of you were listening in the past. I love that. Dynamite. 
dynamite. It's explosive. That's where we get our word for it. God's power through the gospel, the message of Christ that, that transforms human hearts and minds, that blows up the brokenness and rebuilds us constructively with his power. That we are not what we once were. We are now redefined. We are not what we once were. We are who he's made us to be. And in that place, God invites us to pray in that power. I wonder if we realize that. Pastor Steve and I were listening to a message some weeks ago by a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor down in Oklahoma. And, and he shares a story of when he was newly married, he and his wife, um, they could only afford an old kind of broken down house on his pastor's salary, and they, they bought this, this, this house, was, uh, I think from 1910, and they didn't have money to really restore anything or fix anything if it was broken, and so they just kind of lived with it. And a few examples of that came when four years later, it was time to sell the house. The realtor was walking through the house with them, asking questions, okay, what doesn't work? Is there anything we need to list in this room? And they go in the kitchen, they said, yeah, the garbage disposal has never worked, doesn't work, and the realtor says, oh, interesting, okay. And, and bent down and took the little hex key underneath there and turned the disposal a little bit and hit the switch and it fired to life. And Craig and his wife were like, it's alive! You know, it works. And they're like, how'd you do that? Well, that's what that little key is for. Like, no way. I always wondered what that was. And, you know, and they, they walk into the family room. Anything in here we should be aware of? And they said, yeah, the, the outlet behind on the TV wall doesn't work. And the realtor looked at him and said, well, how do you watch TV? And uh, they said, well, when nobody's here, uh, we, uh, we take, did you see that orange extension cord in the kitchen? We actually unplug the refrigerator for a few moments, not for long times, but just uh, long enough to watch shows. And we plug in the extension cord, take it into the family room, and we plug the TV in. And the realtor says, interesting. And uh, looking around, he said, have you ever tried this switch here? Like, yeah, we tried that a bunch of times. We have no idea. That doesn't work. It's not attached to anything. And the realtor t comes and switches the switch plugs in the TV, and the TV comes on. And they're like, no way. I wonder if that happens for us a lot. We, we just start living life in this zone of assuming God would never answer our prayers, that God isn't strong enough, isn't powerful enough to do anything about it, or certainly wouldn't pay any attention to us. I mean, who are we to ask? And all the while, he's saying, ask me. Come before me. Don't ask me wimpy prayers. Why not pray for something big? I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. Paul goes on to explain what that can look like. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And there it is. So that, read it with me, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. There it is again together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. What if we prayed according to God's power and with a so that in our life today? Rather than spending all that time complaining to all our friends of how our spouse is such a deadbeat and instead started praying. And not just praying for our spouse, but instead saying, Lord, I ask you to grant me patience and strength and faith so that my spouse might know the love of God. 
I pray, Lord, that you would heal our marriage so that we would be a witness to you of what God can do when he can resurrect something that is dead. I pray, Lord, you would bless my kids and not just stop saying, keep them safe. You know what? Sometimes serving God is dangerous. And instead we pray, Lord, surround my children with an awareness of your love so that they would be on fire for you and make an impact for your kingdom in the world. Lord, I pray, and rather than complaining about that person at work that bugs you and annoys you and, and every chance you get gossiping about them, what if you turn that energy around and said, Lord, by your power and your strength, give me eyes to see where they are hurting and allow me to be a presence in their life of your love to them so that they would know you. What if God taught us to pray the so that? How would that change things for us? You know, Paul makes it really clear here. God is able to do measurably more than all we ask. And this is how we end here. Read it with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.